A savage kidnapping. You're holding our captain. I want him released. And Picard is forced to play a dangerous game of survival. No! Now there is only one way to bring him back alive. It's going to take me at least a full day to do it. Captain Picard could be dead by then. And it could lead to a full-scale war. Stand by to fire, Mr. War. We cannot survive another hit. Deadly encounter on another exciting episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. Transfer complete. Welcome to Subspace Transmissions, the podcast where two Trek fans step into the arena and tackle the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between that Star Trek has to offer. I'm Cam Smith, and joining me on the bridge. This is Tyler Orton and Juliet on the balcony. (laughs) And we have a special guest, battling invisible monsters, Patrick Johnston. Now, Patrick, where are you right now? I'm uh, in, in the marvelous mountain community of Hope, BC, home of one of the world's most famous movies. Hell oh, yeah. Rambo, nice. First you... Blood, First Blood. Yeah. Absolutely watched First Blood last night. I'm on a little uh, dad's getaway ahead of Father's Day. Our, my, my friend and I, our wives, granted us two days away and two nights away. And so here we are. And I'm happy to join you guys from the banks of the mighty Fraser River. Now, I have a question because I don't know if many people know this listening to the show, but in Hope, there's an actual statue of John Rambo. Have yes. you had a photo taken with that statue yet? Oh, oh yes. Yeah, we've done it. I mean, I've been to Hope many times, so it's not quite as exciting as, as my pal Andrew. But uh, yeah, no, we got our photo of Rambo. We, uh, we did do a little walk around tour looking for some of the historic locales that uh, the movie was shot at, such as the train tracks that Rambo rides his motorbike over and uh, the apparently relocated st- sheriff's station, which is now a, a senior's clubhouse. <laughs> well, Sly is a senior now, so it all makes sense. Yeah, no kidding. Is there a like mini Rambo museum there or something at a visitor center? I, I well, they had there's this one of those you know those those uh, signs where you know they cut out the face and you can lean your head in and then you can hmm. be Rambo. They've got one of those, and they do have like the 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 Chamber of Commerce, I think, or the Tourism Commission or whatever it is here has a like guided tour of like the filming locations. Um, and actually, you know, we did go out to the Othello tunnels and go for a walk, and that's where the that's the that's the gorge where they uh, have the big shootout with the helicopter. And um, yeah, it was it was it's been quite uh, quite the uh, quite the week quite quite the few days here. This might be the most Father's Day activity that ever existed. <laughs> well, you know, I think it's actually kind of a good segue because look, we're here to talk about Darmok. It's a episode that you name checked a couple of years ago, Patrick. I've had it in the back of the ha- my head. We're going to talk to you about it in just a few moments here. But I, I think if you're talking Father's Day, there, there's two things that we can touch on here. First is, you know, the new teaser for Star Trek Picard. The other is a little bit more information coming out about Star Trek Prodigy. And that's the new children's animated series from Star Trek. I'll ask you about that. You don't have to go into great detail, but mostly I'm, I'm curious about what it means to have like a children's show to watch with your own kids. Because of course, I remember a few weeks ago, you were texting me how you're going to introduce Molly to Star Trek, your daughter. And a few moments later, you you sent me a photo of her uh, falling asleep during one relics, which is just... uh, I tried to think uh, of what was possibly the most gentle episode I could think of, and that was one. And I I have, it has its own charm, of course. 
Um, but yes, she did fall asleep. I think partly because it was the afternoon and, you know, kids tend to take naps. It, it's, it's not because of Jimmy Doohan, though. No, uh, no, Jimmy yeah, Doohan yeah. is enthralling in any in any version. But what do you think of the idea of like having a children's show and, and watch maybe your toddler mm. and you, you've got a new infant as well or a new baby? Um, wh- what do you think about that idea as a parent being able to kind of introduce your kids to Star Trek that way? Sure, why not? I mean, it, it, it's obvious sort of why they're using the IP in that that way. Um, you know, the, there's this is the thing you discover is that, you know, kids are interested in watching things and we were watching things when we were kids and now there's just so much variety. Um, it, it's, you know, a little bit about giving them doses of stuff and seeing what's up and, you know, as, in general, the show, you hope the show gives them something. Um, that there's some ability for them to interact with it. And uh, that's, to me, what matters the most, whether it's, you know, in the Star Trek universe or not is less important to me. But yeah, sure, I'd love I'd love to believe that it could, you know, that there's something out there that we could connect about. And I mean, she's three, right? Anything we watch, probably going to connect to some degree because she's like, oh my goodness, it's on. <laughs> Kate Mulgrew is coming back. She's going to voice, you know, a holographic version of Captain Janeway. Does bringing back kind of a legacy character appeal to you? I know Voyager isn't necessarily yeah. your favorite, but um, does that hold any appeal for maybe some of the older viewers just having something familiar to tune into as well? Yeah, I, I, I get that. Yeah, I certainly get that appeal. And certainly, you know, that her era of Star Trek is very much the range of of uh, age range of someone who would have a kid that would be sort of probably of the right age to watch a show like that. So that, that totally makes sense to me. And, you know, I think part of the problem with Voyager was that I was, I don't know, I was kind of in my cynical teenage years and then into university where the last thing I wanted to do was watch something like that. That might play into the sort of the story as well. So, you know, if you have younger, you know, if you're, you know, someone who's what, five years younger than me in their mid thirties and who has young kids, maybe it does make a little more sense. There is something easy, more easily that you can connect with. Now, would you ever introduce your kids to Star Trek: The Animated Series? Um, I, I mean, I would. I, I would think about it. I certainly watched <laughs> it at one point, but uh, um, yeah, no, I uh, I haven't actually thought about that one yet. That's the uh, gateway drug for uh, your children's entry into the original series, and yeah. which that is what they're going to be watching yeah, all exactly. the time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So the other big thing that dropped on Captain Picard Day, we're, we're recording one day after Captain Picard Day. Uh, my girlfriend sent me a photo of uh, you know Picard uh, holding up that paper version of Picard in the actual episode. I think it was Pegasus. Right. And she said that the, uh, the cardboard cutout uh, looked a lot like me. <laughs> and... <laughs> I said thanks, <laughs> but um, we did get the teaser, the second teaser drop here. We have the return of Q. It, it, it's very obvious. All all I can say is I, I'm I'm far more excited about this than I was with um, Discovery season four's teaser. Cam, you and I, that one gave us shivers and how they did not seem to learn some of the lessons from season three. But I'm hoping they can learn some of the lessons from season one of uh, Picard. And I, look, I, I'm down for more Delancey. It sounds as if he's actually in it quite significantly through season two. So I don't know, it's piqued my interest. Uh, what were your initial thoughts, Cam? I was definitely optimistic because, you know, on top of the Discovery one looking adver- uh, storytelling wise to be repeating itself, uh, maybe it won't be, but that's what it looks like. It also just looked like more of the same. Whereas when I watched that Picard teaser, it looked like a new season that was visually different from what I saw before. Um, I should also note, 
we were pretty excited when we saw board cubes and data and all that in the teaser for Picard season one. So, Hey, <laughs> fool me once. Uh, we'll, we'll see about part two, but uh, season two, but I'm hopeful. I want to see Q doing interesting things. Um, I'm hoping that maybe they have an idea they're really excited about versus the kind of, in many ways, made up on the spot idea they had for season one. So I guess cautiously optimistic, but I am genuinely excited just that it looks different. Yeah, Patrick, what's your takeaway on uh, uh, Picard season two? Well, I caught it just before. I'm glad I saw your email because I went and watched it just before it came nice, on. Nice, nice. But uh, um, so I haven't had as perhaps, I mean, we hadn't, I don't think you guys have had a ton of time to process it. But yeah, I, I you know, Cam, basically everything Cam said is pretty much my feeling on it. I, I really enjoyed the way season one started. I enjoyed the setup. I thought the premise was interesting. Um, and then <laughs> they lost their way. Yes. They couldn't figure their way out of the dilemma. And in the end, it just became, oh, here's Riker with a bunch of ships. And I'm like, really? That's it? Like, what? What? Are we what? But no, but wait, Patrick. What? Riker disappears right before his captain is killed. So there you go. Yeah. Great reason to bring Riker back. Yeah. So anyway, it, it was all just yeah. So that you know, left in the end, it didn't leave with you know, you didn't leave you with the sort of feeling that you were supposed to feel that you thought you were going to feel because oh yeah, it's returned to sort of what this you know next generation was about and that kind of thing. So hey, Delancey, I'm all, anytime you can get Delancey in, I'm excited. I was certainly one of those people that got excited when I realized he was show when he showed up in Breaking Bad. Um, you know, it, I I I do enjoy <laughs> I do enjoy watching Encounter at, Four, at Farpoint for all the kind of hokiness of it. Um, Delancey is so great in that, and and his his performance just there's a reason why they kept bringing him back. So uh, you know, it it, it is going to be interesting to see what a uh, an aged Q looks like and acts like and behaves like, which of course doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense if, you know, you're really talking about an eight was supposedly an ageless entity. But uh, again, like Cam said, the premise sounds great. Let's see them do it. I've got a great Delancey convention story. Uh, Cam knows this one, but uh, it was a Seattle convention and Delancey's there. And I go up and I ask him uh, what I thought were, you know, kind of thoughtful questions about uh, Breaking Bad and his performance there, and having to be somebody playing a father dealing with the death mm -hmm. of a uh, of uh, a daughter, and uh, so I walk away from the mic, and the woman directly behind me, she goes up to the mic and says, "Can I have a hug?" And he just looks at her and like flicks his like wrist and says, "No," and <laughs> <laughs> she just walks away deflated. I'm just like, I was like, "Yes, he is cute in real life. Like that that is amazing." So, um, what was his answer to your question? Uh, he was just talking about how, like, as a father himself, like, he didn't want to do it, but he had to put himself through that, like, um, kind of almost that method thing about, like, how would he be reacting in real life if he was yeah. dealing with the loss of a child? And um, he said it was tough, but, um, yeah, so he, he did give kind of that thoughtful answer. And I don't think actors are often asked about what's going through their minds during a lot of these performances. At the Star Trek conventions, Cam, correct me if I'm wrong, most of the questions are like, uh, how long does it take to put your makeup on or what kind of pranks do you guys pull on set? You know, and yeah. I, I think actors do appreciate it. Like Kim, you asked um, Rene Aubergeois a great question as well. And this is a question that he was never asked before at that same convention. I also asked John Delancey a question about a performance that I don't think a lot of Star Trek fans ask about. <laughs> do you well, remember what well, it was? No, what was that? 
I asked about playing the creepy um, gynecologist in The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's, that's right. <laughs> wow. Hey, he had a really insightful answer. He talked about moments that he improvised himself. It was a, a great answer. I don't think it's a question he gets much. That's good. What about the Renéa Bourgeois story, Cam? Maybe we can um, uh, take a bit of a swerve. Bring it back. Bring it back, people. Um, yeah, that was where I asked him about King Kong shooting the uh, 1976 version starring Jeff Bridges and Jessica Lange. And the movie's not good. Um, it's kind of a bloated disaster. But he had really interesting stories about the fact that they thought they were shooting a comedy and how him and Jeff Bridges became best friends during it. And they have dinner together all the time. Uh, it was just a really interesting uh, insider's <laughs> glimpse into a movie that I think most people dismiss. Yeah. Cool. Well, guys, why don't we carry this on over into Darmok? And I, the first thing that I want to ask, though, and, and I'll put the spotlight on the guest here, but Patrick, why is it that this is kind of an episode that you've had in the back of your mind, one that you really wanted to kind of dig into? And um, to just explain, like, why, why this is kind of like a, a solid TNG adventure. Well, it, it tries to tackle a, a true sort of big picture topic about how we communicate and, you know, how we how we how we try to make things happen. I, I went, obviously went and rewatched it. And the thing that's really, it really hit me, the sort of comment at the end, you know, where there's sort of the scene where Picard's sitting in, in the ready room and Riker comes in and notices that he's reading Greek and sort of, you know, has the kind of, it was sort of Riker as the kind of uh, avatar for the, for the, for the narrator saying, oh, here's a simple question, but it's not actually going to be a simple answer. And him saying, oh, is this to learn more about metaphors so that the next time we talk to them, you'll have metaphors to talk about. And he goes, well, no, it's actually baser than that. We need to understand who we are before we can do anything else. And then also understanding risk and the risk that that Captain Dathan was willing to take, and um, you know, trying to bridge gaps, cross cross a bridge, and and bring two societies closer together, not knowing what the outcome was going to be, but being willing to take the risk, and um, you know, very much in line with sort of the aspirations, I think, of the kind of Roddenberry uh, ideal. Uh, uh, yeah, so it's always stood out with me, and, and just some you know superb performances. You know, obviously you get Paul Winfield in there, a guy who was nominated for an Oscar and an Emmy. Um, you know, head to head with Patrick Stewart, who's really kind of rounded into his own as you know as Picard, and, and it really has made it finally made a mark for himself as an American in, in America. Um, it's just such a fascinating window into into sort of a, a, a step. I mean, it's also you think about the time period, right? It's it's you know it's what ninety one. It's it's a new decade. We're stepping into. We're definitely leaving the eighties, and there's sort of a new feeling of the show. And you look at the show, and it's there. The, the effects hold up so well. That's the thing that always impresses me. Um, it's just everything about it. It still feels modern. It's a thirty-year-old show almost, and it still feels modern. It's it's uh, it's an impressive thing, and that's yeah. That's I think you know among many reasons why I've always enjoyed watching it. Well, maybe a little bit of background information on this one. Uh, this was written by uh, Joe Minoski. He did the teleplay, a longtime writer for uh, Next Generation. He did Voyager. He was briefly involved with Star Trek Discovery, too. Um, and it was based on a story by bo both Minoski and one Philip uh, Lezipnik. And it was directed by one of the stalwarts of uh, Next Generation and Voyager. This was uh, uh, Winrick uh, Colby as well. And this one aired almost exactly 30 years ago, mm -hmm. September 30th, 1991. And I, I, I like that, that timelessness that, that you're touching on. When I'm going through my um, TNG Blu-rays, uh, unless it's like season one, season two, where there's like super 80s hairstyles, 
it doesn't look as if this was filmed like 30 plus years ago. It really looks as if this could have been kind of modern day, uh, just in terms of, of the way the colors pop. And I just think that there's something about those physical models that you don't get with, with you know, CG, which maybe you can, I don't know, move things around, get more bang for your buck. But I just think there's something classic um, and more enduring about that model stuff. So that's a little background information. Cam, what was your first experience like watching Dharma? Because I believe this was more like, maybe in the 2010s that you saw this one for the first time, right? Well, it's hard to say because I did watch dozens of episodes back in the day when I was about 12 years old in syndication. So <laughs> I, I would not put it past me for having watched this episode and, uh, you know, not really remembering a lot. And then, you know, obviously revisiting that show and going through the whole run of it in the 2010s. Now, when I went to the 2010s, it was one that, um, I'd been going to Star Trek conventions already before I watched TNG and the, you know, the full run. So Darmok was an episode that I just heard all the time. The memes were still a thing. I recognized them. So when I got to it, it then becomes a little bit of that chip on your shoulder of like, is it as good as everyone says? <laughs> no, it is not. No, um, I, my response to it was actually, um, very warm. I thought it, I, I enjoyed it a lot. And in so many ways, it's the anti arena episode mm. in that you know when you look at the episode arena it's about kirk beaming down with this alien he can't understand and we get more of the action adventure show right whereas here it's picard going down and it very much represents the differences between those two shows where this one's all about communication and even picard thinks he's in arena because he's like thinking that he's handing him the knife so they can fight and all this he thinks it's a combat scenario initially um picard even thinks he might be in tos but I love that this really does underscore what makes TNG such a specific show and why it is so different from TOS. And that it is about, as Patrick said, communication and, you know, how we have to have to push ourselves to achieve, you know, a mutual communication with someone else. Well, the mission statement from this episode came very early on, you know, right after uh, Picard was beamed down to the planet. Uh, Riker's in charge. Like, he, th this is a very Riker-heavy episode. And Cam, we just did our Jonathan Frakes uh, as the new ambassador of Star Trek. And this one just kind of epitomizes why he is number two on the call sheet. But uh, Riker says, if we can talk our way out of this one, that much the better. Yeah. And that's what I really do appreciate that is because they're trying to come at, at it from all ends. Uh, even uh, with Worf, who, whose go-to default is like, yeah, let's like blow them out of the water um, no matter what. But um, <laughs> this one, it's, it, it is that kind of Star Trek deal where if you can communicate versus just brute force your way out of all the situations, I think you're going to get way more out of it as an audience member. And this one really does, like, it's running at all cylinders, especially with what all the characters are up to. I look at that Troy and Data scene where they're just trying to cross-reference, you know, the word Darmok with other things. And it's two smart people trying to be smart, and they keep hitting a wall. I love that sort of stuff, and it really works in that they're trying to use their brains to get out of this situation, and it ultimately comes down to communication and sacrifice on the part of Dathan here as well. Cal, or uh, Tyler, your point about the sort of let's talk our way out of this is such a contrast with what we referred to before, which is the end of season one of Picard. It's just, <laughs> it's just like, oh yeah, here, we're going to brute force. Like, what? Like, oh, we saved you with 100,000 ships that we've never seen before anyway. Um, I think that, you know what actually sticks with me, your point about, about like you're saying, that it's actually almost before that, the theme is in the cold open because um, Picard's sitting there in the meeting and mentions how um, communication requires 
patience. And then they cut to the scene of them talking over um, the view screen and they're just completely baffled by what's going on. And and sort of the idea of creativity. And then all of a sudden we start emerging, we start realizing that this is actually about, you know, Dathan has a creative solution to their problem and he really wants it to work. Um, in very much in line, like you said, with what Riker said, this is going to be a story about talking it out and trying to figure out how to resolve our problems and how to, how to work together, that we really do want to work together, but just because we don't understand each other doesn't mean that we, uh, we aren't actually on the same page. And this could have been a ultra academic episode. Like it could have been a very dry hour of television, but you look at the emotional palette of this episode. Um, it's funny. A lot of the time we're getting data reaction shots to initially, you know, the uh, alien species, the children of Tama, you know, talking. Um, we also just have a lot of the moments of Picard down there trying to understand him. And there's like some humor there. Like there's good humor between these two characters. Captain Dathan isn't like a, uh, you know, surly, angry character. He seems to be a little exasperated, but also having a certain sense of good, uh, good sense of humor. On top of that, it's exciting. You know, you have a lot of suspense and you also have genuinely moving material. So it really does run the gamut. It doesn't stick to just one tone. It kind of embraces all the different, you know, methods of telling this story. So it feels that much richer because I think a lot of shows could have done the same story focused entirely on this exercise of unraveling this alien language. And it may have been interesting, but it wouldn't necessarily be as moving or an episode that people are talking about on a podcast 30 years later. From a writing perspective, like, I could have seen this go the wrong way, in that, like, it would have just been nonsensical, like, where the characters look dumb from both sides, both the uh, Temerians as well as Starfleet. I, I, I don't want to say it's a miracle that this one worked out, because I think that does not give credit to the writers here. But I think Minoski, like, the reason why he was used so much by both TNG and Voyager is because there's kind of maybe a certain spark that he was able to tap into and like understand what makes TNG or just Star Trek click. Cam, we've talked about it before. Like uh, Brandon Braga, uh, the uh, executive producer of Voyager and Enterprise, he said that like some people just don't know how to write for Star Trek. And I wonder if given it to somebody else, this assignment, this could have just come off, as you say, either very dry or just unbelievably silly. Like the, one of those unintentionally silly episodes that we'd sometimes get from Star Trek as well. What are you talking about, Tyler? Silly episodes of Star Trek. <laughs> well, uh, case in point, uh, what do you think humans sound like to the Temerians? Like, if we can't understand them, or if it's all just like kind of pronouns that have no meaning to us, what do we sound like to Temerians, though? Well, it's probably like Little Green Men, the DS9 episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm. With just kind of that echoey voice. Yeah, yeah. I found myself wondering that exact question when, when Picard's, at, you know, when they're sitting by the fire and Dathan's dying and Picard's trying to tell his version of Gilgamesh, but he like, he's trying to do metaphors, but he, you know, he just completely fails at selling any metaphors in this story. <laughs> and you're just like, but Dathan's sort of sitting there giggling. Cause you're like, who knows what he's hearing? And I'm like, you know what? He's at least trying to give Picard the benefit of the doubt. He's like, oh yeah, I'm sure you're saying something very interesting. You know, it was like when you'd be sitting on a train in Europe or something and you'd be talking to someone or you'd be sitting there and someone in your compartment was from, you know, somewhere else. And you're like, oh yeah. And you kind of point to where the seats are. And that was kind of it. And that was kind of, you kind of laugh and smile and that was it. You move along, except Picard was trying much harder. Well, and I love that Picard's a character known for his great intellect and just majestic speaking manner. And his ultimate weapons are completely useless in this scenario. Like this is a character who's looking at Picard going, I, I don't know if this guy's that bright. <laughs> yeah. Why do you talk so much? Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> what are Picard's weapons in this episode? Uh, ultimately, he can't even get his fire started. Um, and after Dathan uh, dies, it, it's up to Picard to kind of, uh, you know, knife fight this alien uh, until he's able to be saved. But it's also Picard that f- figures out what Dathan's trying to do, right? Yep. Like that does that. That's his intellect, right? It, it comes down to his ability to analyze what's in front of him, what is happening, why does this guy keep saying what he's saying, and what happens when he does it. And being patient and yes. willing to actually put in the work to yeah. try to forge that relationship. Like, I can think of a lot of Star Trek characters who wouldn't. I mean, I was I made a note to myself laughing. You know how um, for a long time there was all the hashtag Captain Worf <laughs> demands? Um, I'm just trying to imagine this is an episode of Captain Worf with Worf <laughs> on the planet. I yeah. mean, it would, be, it would be a very different story. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just love that Worf, like Worf's analysis. What is this Worf? He goes, it's a battle of champions. And you're like... <laughs> Really, Warp? That's what you got? Thanks. I'm glad you're on the bridge. Well, even at the beginning of the episode, uh, they're talking about how all the previous seven encounters with the Temerians, uh, they were incomprehensible. And then Warp was like, sounds like a border dispute. <laughs> Just like, <laughs> where did you get that? You know, but um, and I, I but I, I will say I do think Picard is maybe schooling his uh, bridge crew to a certain degree when he arrives back to the ship. And just with the gusto and confidence that he is delivering all of those metaphors to the first officer on the Temerian ship, like, as if he really, really, truly gets the language to agree, I I think he is um, boasting just a little bit, exaggerating (laughs) his knowledge there, but he really does sell it to the Temerians. And I don't know if Troy and Data couldn't even get, you know, to say hello, it just speaks to kind of you know, Picard is being kind of one of those unicorn figures within uh, Star Trek. It's experiential learning, though. I think that's, to me, that's what sticks out to me. Maybe that's just because I was a teacher and I think about the different ways people learn. I, I get what you're saying. It does feel a little bit of a stretch that he's able to communicate. Dathan, and I understood what Dathan was doing and he died doing it. Um, but here we are. We're going to try to make this work. Like, that's his message. And they're like, oh, yeah, sure. Great. And you're like, how did he learn that so quick? But you know, I, I think it's one. It is one of those ones where, I mean, obviously the story demands it, but uh, I, I think it is a case of you know some people just learn by doing, and and as we saw, you know, in in the crucial moment of the episode, Picard understands first of all that Timba, you know, his arms open means I'm giving you something, and and then he understands the sort of battle strategy and the on and on and on. And he's able to collect, and of course, you know, I think we're left to assume that he learns other things off camera. Um, that he is able to use in his in his final moment of dialogue with with the other guys, but I mean, it's like the other guys are going to know that Dathan's dead. Like it's not like they aren't scanning the surface. Like the Enterprise knows that he's dead, so that it is all a bit a bit confusing. But I guess they don't know the circumstances. It is it is all a bit sort of a bit over the top at the end, I suppose. I wonder if Picard also has a little bit of a leg up in that we've seen over the course of the series that Picard is really into Shakespeare and classic storytelling and mythology and archaeology. I just wonder if he had a certain amount of skills in terms of actually listening to this and making the connections a lot quicker than other characters. Well, Cam, you just mentioned a few moments ago how, like, Worf would probably not be the ideal (laughs) character to do this. But after Picard, you know, who seems like, as you say, kind of the best suited for a mission like this, who would be the next best amongst the the main crew here to go down to that planet and try to figure out what's going on? Probably Data, right? I feel like Data is going to probably figure it out at a certain point. Does he have that intuitive kind of communication skill, though, that uh, Picard possesses? Because... 
we mine a lot of comedy gold out of data because of the way that he misinterprets what's going on, especially in these sort of social communication situations. It's the part of data that does require sort of suspension of disbelief because data is supposed to be this fully functional artificial intelligence, you know, and, and a fully functional artificial intelligence should be able to understand nuance and, and take, you know, why a certain thing said in a certain moment in a certain context has vastly different meaning from that same expression in a, in a different scenario. And we see obviously lots of examples of this where that actually comes to defeat him, obviously less and less as the series advances. But I still think it is a scenario where they're saying, certainly as we see with, you know, he's able to, he and Troy, and I think, by the way, this is some of the best Troy we see in the show because it, it uses her actual skill set, puts it on display, and doesn't hit you over the head with it. You know, it's just like she's working, advancing the story. And it, it also, you know, you guys were talking about the kind of the fact it could have been so dry, but it speaks to the, the pace of the direction, which I think was a, another key part of the story but data in the end i think he you know you he figures it out when he's sent to you know he loses his memory on a planet and is sent you know it finds himself in a medieval culture carting around a bag full of radiation right <laughs> like he does actually figure that out kind of backwards so maybe he still would but i'm i am a bit skeptical just given the route that generally he is put on on in terms of his his sort of what his witness exploration of humanity I'd like to think that Riker would be able to come together through the power of music, and that's how he'd be able to communicate with Dathan. He's like manufacturing a trombone down on the planet. They're being yeah, attacked he's... by the monster. He's like, I'm busy, I'm busy. No, he's doing air trombone the entire time and like blowing raspberries. Like, I think that's how they come together universally. He's picking up some shrubs and cre- yeah, he's creating a little, you know, like hand harmonica or something like that. Yes, well, that old shrub hand harmonica that we all played as children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're in hope. Are you in the woods right now building one? Yeah, I, I could if you wanted. <laughs> Well, you know, we brought up Troy. Like, is Troy maybe the character then who would succeed among the crew? I, I also wonder, is it kind of cheating because she's going to be able to pick up the feelings that mm-hmm. uh, Dathan is, you know, projecting to a certain degree? Like, she couldn't necessarily read his mind, but she can uh, feel what he's feeling in that, whether it's frustration, whether it's the talk of coming together or, you know, failure, you know, Shaka when the walls fell, you know, that kind of doom that, uh, that Dathan was speaking about. Like, I think Troy would have a good chance of being able to maybe bridge that gap. And she was able to identify the, that kind of metaphorical stuff in, in how they communicate, although it was with the help of uh, both uh, the ship's computer as well as uh, the positronic brain of Data. Yeah, and I thought the uh, computer had a good sense of humor and that it gives it one result, pauses, and then keeps going for the laugh. Uh, good programming there. But I, I was really thinking, you know, we've had a number of Star Trek characters have those episodes where they get stranded. You know, Jordy had the enemy, for example. Um, Picard's got a couple. Kirk has them. I think we may have been robbed of a Troy episode like that. It could have really worked. The face of the enemy is a little bit of that, isn't it? A bit. It's more of a mission thing, though. I'm thinking like the kind of secluded characters, you know, who don't really understand each other very well in one way or the other, being just isolated. I think that could have been a really interesting Troy episode. Yeah, I've never really thought about that. But my fear, though, is they would inevitably try to make it into a Troy romance episode, which were always pretty bad. I I wish if it was just like that kind of enemy mind situation that uh, we have kind of with this and to a certain degree, you know, the Jordy uh, uh, Romulan episode, the enemy, I, I, I think 
putting Troy in kind of a similar position where it's not all about her in a relationship, I think that would actually be fascinating. It would have been better than the child. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, man. That, that, now that's how you kick off a season, Cam. <laughs> um, speaking of which, okay, so this was um, the second episode of season five. And this was actually the debut of uh, Picard's little gray sweater, otherwise known as the Picardigan. And I, I'm curious, you know, how does the Picardigan match up versus, say, Kirk's uh, tunic? I, I know, Cam, you might be a little biased, and you can explain why. And Cisco's vest, you know, the, the first contact era vest, you know, what, what kind of uh, kind of takes the cake here between those three uh, clothing options? Cam, maybe I'll, I'll start with you just because maybe you've got some uh, tunic bias within you. Sure, I actually own one of the green tunics, and not from the original series. I'm not that rich, but I did buy a replica that I've worn to conventions. Um, unfortunately, I ordered it from a company where they ask for your measurements, and I'd ordered from them before, and the uniform I got before was an Enterprise jumpsuit that fits perfectly. The tunic, not the case. So there was some drastic overhauling, and... It's fine, but it's not as, uh, you know, it doesn't fit as well as, well, one William Shatner. But um, in comparison to, I, I don't know, I kind of come down more on the green tunic than the Picardigan. But I do really like the Picardigan because it breaks up kind of the visual, um, you know, kind of language of the uniforms and that it doesn't keep things static. I like when they introduce, you know, a lot of different um, looks for Starfleet members. You know, you look at the J.J. Abrams movies, which have their faults, but I liked how they would always find various types of, you know, uniforms the crew might be wearing given a situation. Um, you know, I never got to see Picard in like a skin-tight wetsuit, but <laughs> the Picardigan is a uh, good second choice. Where are you at, Patrick? Uh, tunic, Picardigan, or Cisco's vest? I'm a big fan of, of, the, of, uh, of the cardigan because it gets you the suede jacket. Mm. well it's interesting yeah you have the suede on the top and like kind of the shoulder pads there but that i think was only around for like one or two episodes and then they kind of redid it and made it all cloth well oh really i never noticed that. yeah yeah oh well i've always enjoyed that look i thought it was i mean partly because when i was a kid i had my uh my picard action figure came with him in his in in his cardigan uniform which i thought was pretty good i've got the same one yeah there you go um yeah, so yeah, no, I'm a big fan of it. Now, I actually have a question for Cam. Cam, the uh, the the Kirk tunic, is yeah, it, is it the original one with the with the flashes on the shoulders or on the upper chest or the ones on the arms? No, it's the the wraparound belt, basically oh, with go. the the yeah the insignia on the showing belt. A, showing a little more chest that way. Mm-hmm. I get mm-hmm. it. Smart boy. <laughs> Did nothing for me. <laughs> <laughs> well. Uh, what, what can take some deep breaths and pump your chest out, you know, <laughs> do a bunch of push-ups. Do the, do the, do, I know Tom Cruise did it. I'm sure, I'm sure Shatner was doing push-ups before his scenes. I am no Ricardo Montalban. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, maybe I'll, uh, just be kind of uh, the spoiler here. I, I, I'm not going to choose between what you guys did. I'm just going to go with the Cisco vest, uh, that gray and red, it really pops. And I, I just always picture him in, in the pale moonlight, kind of disrobing more and more as the episode goes on. And uh, he's in that vest at a certain point uh, as he's uh, sweating bullets during that uh, captain's log. So I'll, I'll go with the Cisco vest. I mean, you guys are both vest guys. I've seen your, I've seen your punk rock looks, uh, but uh, yeah, so I can understand that. Well, should every captain in the franchise have like a separate uniform? Like, does that make it more interesting? 
Yeah. Of course. I think it does. Does Burnham have like kind of a uh, her own sort of style apart from the crew at this point? Not that's coming to mind. I think with her, it's a lot of different hairstyles. But um, yes. yeah, not in terms of an actual uniform. Okay. Maybe uh, it'll be Pike. Do you think they'll give a, a green tunic <gasps> to Pike in Strange oh New Worlds? Oh my god. I'd never thought about that, but they have to, right? It'd be great if it fits as well as yours does. <laughs> tragic I, i'm pretty sure ensign mount can fill out a tunic he doesn't need to do any push-ups right no no no, no. um yeah i don't think janeway oh you know what i remember in the episode macrocosm janeway did strip down to that gray sort of um sleeveless shirt you know when she was fighting off those uh giant uh alien viruses and i think that was the first time that we saw the gray uh, tease there so maybe that's Janeway's distinct look um she also um wears that in year of hell as well okay uh did Archer ever get like a uh like a variation uh on the uniform is that just the underwear <laughs> the constant underwear yeah no one else got the decon gel like uh, he did right yeah no but I guess a lot of the crew all the male crew members have the blue uh boxer shorts so uh do, I don't think does Archer have anything I mean, he does oh. wear the green tunic in the Mirror Universe two-parter, um, but does he have something separate? What about the baseball cap? Mm. <laughs> I, I don't remember T'Pol wearing that baseball cap around the ship. True, true. I forgot about the baseball cap. Cam owns one. <laughs> <laughs> but they, a lot of them wore the baseball cap. They are not easy to find, are they? No, I had to get my mom to help me make one. Yeah. Um, it's... Uh, they are not easy. You'd think they would be like produced by all of the uh, you know cosplay companies, but not the case. But the thing is, a lot of them wear those baseball hats. Trip and um, Reed wear those as well. Okay, okay. I, I gave it my best shots uh, there. Yeah. So okay. Um. Well, with that out of the way, back to Darkmock here. I, I I think this one look th th this holds up for like very obvious reasons, and I think to put it in more of kind of the historical context of season five though is you're kicking it off with Redemption Part Two. You go to Darmok, you go to Ensign Row, and from there on out, you've just got a string of killer episodes. Cam, I think when we did our rankings a couple years ago, um, or not maybe not a couple years ago, but not too far uh ago that was season five not our best ranked episode of next generation best ranked season best ranked yeah i believe season. i'm sorry yes yeah yeah i believe it was yeah um and i don't know that that's a controversial argument no. either no yeah. i think i used to feel like season six had had some right over then you started seeing the dogs there are real dog episodes in that season too so i think there's no, a consistency I mean, there's, about season five that yeah, maybe was missing in say seven for example there's only, you know, a hand. I mean, as someone, season five is when I think I first truly, really got into Star Trek because that's when I was 10, 11. And it was just kind of came, became kind of a family thing. Like we would watch it Saturday nights, we'd have pizza, and it was just my parents seemed down with it. It seemed like a good thing for us to kind of watch together. And that just was a really good season. Um, and, you know, I think there's, you know, <laughs> I I've I've long said on this podcast I'm a big fan of unification. I know not a lot. I know Cam, uh, you try to have fun with it, but uh, um, <laughs> you know, I, there's only a few episodes that honestly, when I go back, if I'm trying to rewatch, I just want to flip something on that I don't put on. I think you know, I, I kind of just don't want to deal with the angst of violations. But violations, from what I remember, is quite a 
a strong episode. Um, the game is silly, and I'm just not interested to sort of a campy thing about about addiction. But still, they're trying to tackle a big topic. Um, and then you know, kind of going through it, like the outcasts is them trying to get at an important topic. I'm not I'm not as interested in the story because perhaps it feels a bit um, a bit sort of out of a bit a bit sort of strange now because it's such a topic but good for them for doing it their heart was in the right place it's just, in the right it, place. it didn't age as well as maybe we would have hoped no. yeah no, yeah yeah it, it's it's a little too kid gloves i think but but they're sort of they're still trying to sort of deal with the topic and then the rest of them like it's just a you know i mean even imaginary friend deals <laughs> with a strong topic you know like an alien that is trying to imitate you know, humanity in one way, it's a very kind of sci-fi story, um, which is, you know, I think obviously what the show is supposed to be about, but it's also, I mean, it it, 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 it is overall, I mean, it is a, a strong season. It has a second half redemption. It has Time Zero, which I think is one of the best episodes. The Inner Light, obviously, everyone's talked about. I've always been a huge fan of the next phase. Um, yeah, you just go on. I'm just going on, you know, on and on and on. Power play and conundrum are two of my favorites. Like, it just goes on and on and on. I think that imaginary friend is the one that you introduce uh, your children to, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, you referenced the game, and I had a question. Tyler, was this the first Robin Leffler appearance? It was, and it's unclear yeah. to me if what happened is she just had one of those kind of straightforward kind of background character roles with maybe enough dialogue that they're like, Hey, we see some potential with this actress that will bring her back. Or if they really did want to bring her along for a ride, like they identified her early on. They wanted to plant the seeds as she would appear, I think two more times after this, but I believe this is Ashley Judd's first ever role in TV or film, like period as well. Like I, Look, Star Trek's always been great at casting, and I think this is uh, yeah. kind of one of the great examples of that, too. My understanding is that it's just, she's just, I mean, she's, what, 20, 23, I think, when they make this episode. She's just a young actress trying to make it in Hollywood, and it just kind of happens. And I think, yeah, they liked her so much, they brought her back for the game. Um, but, you know, she's sort of off, I guess, off to the races at that point. And I had another point that I was interested in your guys' thoughts on. Now... Worf has great confidence in Picard as a warrior in a battle down there. Do you guys have as much confidence in the warrior traits of Picard in a one-on-one battle? <laughs> it's it's tough because how many times have we seen Picard in combat? You know, like we've seen, um, say, Riker do that um, that uh, sparring match with his own father. So yeah. there's yeah. one example <laughs> there. Um I'm I, I'm kind of blanking. He's a hell of a fencer and hell of a squash player, isn't he? True, true. Yeah, okay. Maybe he could have translated those fencing skills into the knife fight that he was in as well. Um, Cam, how confident are you in Picard's combat abilities? Like we saw in the episode Starship Mine, which came after this episode, correct? Yes, yes, yes it did. Yeah. So, like in that episode, you can see how Picard is very clever at outwitting enemies. So. I guess we could carry that into into a Darmok. The thing is, though, that happens afterwards. So if I were to watch the show in chronological order, I don't know that I'm watching this one going like, mm, well, clearly Picard could take this guy. I wonder if, uh, like, during, like, ship-wide tournaments, um, Worf has just had to take in the fall when he was going up against Picard. And uh, so this is his way of just trying to save face, you know, here. <laughs> Possibly. Um, another element of this one I really liked, though, was... Um, that when Picard 
beams down, you know, he's muttering to himself that is this guy going to try and kill him in his sleep? So often in Star Trek, Tyler, it's a problem you and I complain about endlessly, which is the captain knows best all the time. And it's something a lot of the lazy writing will fall to. But I like here that they're showing that humans, uh, they're not perfect. In this case, Picard is very much expecting the worst of this guy. He's slapping knives out of his hands. Like, he's not immediately thinking, like, this could be a friendly opportunity for diplomacy. He sees the negative in it. And I really like that. I think that makes the episode better. Well, does it make him seem more human as well? It's like, he's kind of reacting the same way that I would in that situation versus how often uh, the characters seem to know what the last page of the script is going to be. And so that's why their actions dictate what follows next right. in the story. And and I, I think this just was better writing. Um, yeah, that, that's my takeaway anyway. A bit of what the F are you doing is sort of, you know, I mean, that's our reaction when anything weird, like we get hit in the face or something. You know, what are you doing? You know, you get cut <laughs> off on the street. What are you doing? And that's kind of what initially Picard's reaction is, is he's just the kind of completely baffled, confused um, person on the on the highway. Yeah, Picard seems to be taken captive quite a bit now that I think of it. You know, are there, it's an episode like Allegiances <laughs> or Lessons, uh, you know, I, he's probably used to it right now. Or a chain of command, too. <laughs> I yeah. should not forget that one. Wait, Best wait. of both worlds. Yeah. 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 <laughs> the but list I mean, goes it's on. Not un- it's not an uncommon thing, though, right? Like, you know, protecting the kind of leader is a, is, there's a reason why generals in combat aren't at the front line, right? Like, you don't want them to be a target. You sit them well back, which is why the, it, you know, the fact that they put the bridge at the very top of the ship in the place where you could blow them out of the skies has always been a bit of a ludicrous thing. But then again, they are hopeful and aspirational, and they think the universe is out to love them. Okay, well, hey, Patrick, uh, we know you're on uh, your dad's weekend. We don't want to take up too, too much of your time. But uh, any final thoughts, any bullet points we did not get to before we wrap up here, fellas? Um, I think I got all my points. I mean, it was just, uh, oh, actually, no, I, I had some sort of unanswerable questions. First of all, shout out to Paul Whitfield. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mentioned him already, but, you know, shout out to him. Just a fascinating career, fascinating person. Um. But I, I, I was curious, what the what is that alien, guys? Is this, is this an unanswerable question? Is it a predator? What does it do? Does it just wait on the planet for random aliens to show up? Like, like, tell me more. What does it eat if it's not uh, like like? Right? I, I, I it eats everything on the planet. Okay. <laughs> like I remember the first time I saw this, I thought it was maybe part of some sort of contest <laughs> and that it was like intended sort of as a predator, like a hunting experience. But nope. <laughs> I don't know what this poor alien's doing down there all the time. It's kind of like Armus. Maybe it was stranded yeah. because it was such a yeah. jerk. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, good point. It's Armus's brother. And he's just really bad. <laughs> he misses Armus and just wants you to take me home. It's a, he really isn't trying to fight. He's trying to hug them and say, take yeah. me home. I'm sad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, well, I had a question for you guys. Do you think we'll ever see the Temerians again? Okay, that, I was actually just going to bring that up because I think, would it not just be a, a perfect moment in, you know, kind of uh, new era Star Trek to bring back Temerians in, in which there has been kind of a bridge towards better communication? Like, I, I, I don't know why they haven't done that uh, in, in new era Star Trek yet. I think it'd be silly not to bring them back at some point, though. You guys are writers. You can imagine how hard it would be to write a whole, you know, a whole series mm-hmm. of episodes with these guys. I mean, in the <laughs> development of the story took two years. So, um, yeah, I think it would be great, but I just have a hard time seeing it. This actually ties a little bit into the other note I have, which is this is, it's actually nice for once to see that Universal Translator isn't actually universal. Like, it can give them the words, but it's completely useless, right? Like, the sort of magic of, oh, we can just, I mean, obviously now we can use our phone to, like, read signs and, and 
speak for us in other languages. Um, but but the sort of idea that you can just show up and meet these other alien races who you may have not met ever met before and have them speak English to you has always, of course, been a, 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 a sort of failing of Star Trek. And so to see it actually kind of be completely, def- well, not completely, but be to be sort of crucially defeated uh, in this way was actually kind of fun. Is it Star Trek Lower Decks then that makes the most sense yeah. uh, to bring back the Temerians? Sure. <laughs> Yeah, it's really tough because there's such a grandeur to this story that you don't want to see it just kind of tossed into, I don't know, the latest gravitational anomaly episode of um, Discovery. If they could build a really worthy reintroduction on Picard, that could be really interesting. But I think you have to treat them with a certain amount of seriousness. Like, it can't just be like, drop them into an action story. I think you want to do something that honors the legacy of this episode the way that when they would go back to Tribbles, it wasn't like they just tossed off Tribble episodes, you know, later on down the road, once we get to, like, the dead Tribble and Into Darkness, maybe so. But right. for a long time, Tribble episodes had to be special, and I think that's what you'd want with these guys, too, the Temerians. You couldn't just put them in the corner of a bar and be like, oh, hey, there's some Temerians. No, I don't think so. You no. know, I was, you know, we were talking about Prodigy earlier, which has, like, a Tellarite thrown in, a right. Medusin from the original series. Like, that's all fun. I don't really want to see a Tamarian just thrown onto a random show right. as a supporting character. As a right. series regular, and he speaks like that the entire time. <laughs> Nobody knows what he's saying, but man, can he fix that engine. <laughs> Make them the captain, and I want captain's <laughs> logs every single week. <laughs> that the entire job is to tell the viewer important information. <laughs> Best exposition dump ever. Years from now, people trying to figure out what happened with that show discovered that there was a different writer every week because of the terrible decision to have a Tamarian as the captain. <laughs> Make it like the David Lynch Star Trek series. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> okay, so I think on that note, our assignment is complete. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, we want to hear from you. Jump on over to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash subspacepod. Now, Tyler, what do we do next time? Well, Cam, our long-awaited Blu-rays have finally arrived. <laughs> it's been punishing. It's been, like, I think a month now. Um, but we will finally do our long-promised Star Trek Lower Decks Season 1 Blu-ray review. We'll have thoughts on the season overall, as well as the special features. And it's interesting. We're only about two months away from the Season 2 premiere. I think you and I are more excited about that than maybe uh, Discovery Season 4 or Picard Season 2. Yeah, Patrick, where did you come down on Lower Decks? It's fine. Okay. You know, I think I'm just, you know, it's one of those ones like, it's fine. You know, I'm, I'm not less annoyed with it than, than some of the other more recent entries. Like you guys know my feelings on discovery. Um, yeah, it's fine. I, I think I, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I think I do worry. I mean, it's, we're, we're well past this point, I guess, but I do worry about just the sort of using the IP for its own sake and not really making it truly Star Trek. Um, but I thought that I thought it did an alright job of sort of sticking to what it was supposed to be. Yeah, it's a tough thing when you have every other franchise, whether it's Marvel or Star Wars, just milking things like crazy. That of course Star Trek's going to want to compete. You just hope the quality's there. That's all you can pray for. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, you can of course find us on the Twitter. I'm at Cam V is in Vicious Predator Alien Smith. You can find me at Reporton. That's R E P O R T. T is in Tamarian Captain's Log, O-N. <laughs> what about you, Patrick? I'm at Rising Action. It's not what you think. Nice. <laughs> okay, so until next time, the arena is closed. <laughs>
Jasper complete.